0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Boness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Boness. It's great to have you all here this morning. Now, uh, we are. Oh, thank you, Brenda. What a wonderful lady. Brilliant. So that's, that's for the big sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then those are for mopping up afterwards. That's fantastic. We're currently going through a series which is looking at the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, those synonymous terms. And so far we've seen, just really briefly, that, that the kingdom is where the will of God is outworked in our lives, in our communities, in our world. So that's the kingdom of God. Uh, it's when the one who sits on the throne has his way. In our lives and things like that. Where God does his things, his way, and we surrender to that. We've sung that this morning. I surrender. I'm letting you have your way in my life. We've seen that it's not a geographical location. It's not bordered. But actually it exists in our midst. And actually to take that a bit further, the Holy Spirit is in you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is within you. Therefore you are a carrier... Of the kingdom. Therefore, you are the borders of the kingdom wherever you go. And that this nearness, this in our midstness of the kingdom, mm-hmm. means that we need to act, we need to choose, we need to turn to it, but we can also turn from it. So, to turn to it, we need Uh, The word that we don't like, repentance, we need to yield, we need to give to God, and we need to turn from doing things our way and turn to his way of doing things. Uh, We've also learned that while citizenship in the kingdom is free, it's bought at a high price. And therefore it is the most valuable thing that you could ever find for your lives. Seek first the kingdom of God. There's nothing more valuable to your life than the kingdom And then we also learned last week that the kingdom may have small, almost insignificant beginnings that are tiny, like a mustard seed or like yeast or leaven in a piece of bread. Almost invisible beginnings, but that through that it grows, it expands, and it can become massive. And actually the example of leaven and mustard seeds was that both are able to keep producing Think about this, a mustard seed goes into the ground, it dies, it sprouts, up comes the mustard plant. Eventually when that mustard plant is, is mature, what happens? It carries many mustard seeds. And so it reproduces. The life of Christ in you is there to be reproduced. It's the same with the leaven. I told you last week that the leaven was a bit of dough fermented that they kept back. So that every batch of dough they made, before they bake it, they would keep a little back. And that would become the yeast for the next batch. So it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. But it needs a little work to keep it alive. You know what that's called? Exponential growth. It's this kind of thing where you start with a little bit. And it just carries on multiplying. In fact, what exponential growth is, is this, that one becomes two, and then each of those ones become two, so two become four, four become eight, eight, sixteen, sixteen, thirty-two, and so on and so forth. Sixty-four, I think, is the next number. Hundred (laughs) and twenty-eight next, and then I'm lost. (laughs) That's that's where I go in my maths. Now, imagine this, exponential growth. If each person in this church invested in just one other person's life, During their lifetime as a believer, just one other life. And then that person invests in just one other person's life. And then that person invests in one other person's life. Imagine what happens to this town. If you invited one person to the church this year, all of you, if you invited one person who ended up staying here, this church this time next year is double in size. Mm. The year after that, we've got to find a new building. The year after that, we've got to build a building. Do you see what I'm saying? exponential growth, and that's the growth of the kingdom. And today we're going to be looking at two main readings, uh, and the eagle-eyed of you are going to notice something here. So the readings are Matthew 13, they're both in Matthew 13, and the first reading is from verse 24 to 30, and the second reading will be from 36. So we're going to skip uh, five verses there, from 36 to 43. And the eagle-eyed of you are going to notice... In the middle of that sandwich is what we covered last week. The story of the yeast, uh, the leaven and the mustard seed. But let's look at Matthew 13:24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came back to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed into your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He said, No, he answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think an enemy got into my garden <laughs> and, and sowed these weeds into my garden and all along my path. And I spent ages yesterday pulling up buttercups and daisies and daffodils, and they're quite pretty, aren't they? But they're still weeds. And and so, you know, I spent ages getting in between the patio bits. And in fact, Eddie and Rosie and Isabel and uh, uh, Laura, I think, went out the front yesterday. And they they finished weeding out the front. They took all those weeds out. Weeds everywhere. I'm no gardener, but I know that weeds just happen. They they just happen. They're perennial. They're hard to avoid. Uh, And to remove them, really, you should remove them before you plant something that you care about. There's no point sowing nice flower bulbs or whatever into your, into your nice rockery if you haven't dealt with the weeds first, because as the flowers come up, so will the weeds, and your job will just be, all the time, going out every Sunday afternoon, taking the weeds out of your garden. And it, it just goes on and on, doesn't it? I hate gardening. <laughs> you, you don't want good plants where weeds are taking over because the weeds will kill the good plants. And, and to remove the weeds, I know that it's really difficult, particularly dandelions, they're a pig. <laughs> their, their roots go really deep, you can just whip them off and, and, and think, that's it, I've killed that bad boy. But honestly, that little bit of root is enough and it'll pop up, bigger and badder, as if to kind of stick its tongue out of you and go, <laughs> you know, I got you there. Roots, you need to go deep to dig out the roots of the weeds. But I also observe that young weeds are easier to deal with than ones that have been left to cultivate themselves. You know, if we're talking about dandelions, it's a lot easier to think about a dandelion when it's little and young. You don't have to go down so far. When it's old, you have to really go for it. And that kind of surprises me because this farmer didn't want his people to go and deal with the weeds while they were still young. Now, in my mind, my Western... 21st century mind, that's the best time to deal with the weeds. Because they're young enough that you can just go, pull them out, gone, done. Surely you're not going to damage the other plants too much in the process of doing that. So why did he say leave them until they are mature? Well, two reasons. The weeds were really closely sown with the actual wheat in the field, so it was hard to separate them that their roots were equally immature, and so it was, it was hard to separate the two. And then the weeds, while young or immature, they looked just the same as the wheat. Indistinguishable. Now, you may have, have fun when you're a kid walking down country lanes where you get that grass that's like got the arrowheads on top of it. You know the grass? Not the sticky grass. But, but the one that has the arrowhead, and I used to throw it at my little brother and my little sister, and you know obviously i get told off in case it went in their eye or something like that. But it was great fun. You could go around and you could try and stick it into somebody's jacket if they were wearing a woolly jacket or something like that. Uh, and they looked kind of like that on the right-hand side. But on the left-hand side there is wheat. Mm-hmm. You can see that they're kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But what I want to add to this is that that wheat is mature. The fruit in the wheat, the grain, has grown, it's developed. When the wheat is immature, when it is young, it looks just the same as that. Now you can see the problem. Because how do you distinguish between the two? So we're not talking about dandelions or Japanese knotweed or anything like that. We're talking about this grass. It was called darnels or tares, uh, that, that were sown into this field that looked identical to the wheat. And we all know that throughout the world, there must be a ton of Sunday believers mm-hmm. pew fillers that 's a derogatory term that i wouldn 't actually use. So surely what we know from this parable is that there may be people in church globally or locally who look the same as believers, but are in actual fact sown in by the devil while we were all asleep. And now us church leaders have the job to leave them in place in case uprooting them damages the genuine believers, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, (laughs) Eddie. Because firstly, remember there was no church at this point. The church was being established. So this isn't a parable about the church, it's not a parable about uh, unbelievers looking like believers in the church, it's about the world. And we'll get to that in a second. Do, Do you remember, years ago, if you're a football fan, there was this occasion when Manchester United were going through their heyday and they had all the best players like David Beckham, Paul Scholes. That's it. That's all I can remember. (laughs) So, (laughs) right gigs, fantastic. There's probably a few other. I'll go. Yeah. Uh, There's probably a few others. I I could be really embarrassed if I tried to give you football knowledge today. But what I do remember was there was this occasion where allegedly uh, Alex Ferguson got so heated in the dressing room. He's Scottish, after all. (laughs) He got so heated in the dressing room that he threw a boot. At David Beckham. He threw a football boot at David Beckham and I think somebody was slightly injured by it, which for a footballer meant that they were on the floor. <laughs> right. Now wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on the wall in that dressing room where when the manager was taking aside his his eleven players and giving them the lowdown? Wouldn't you love it if sometimes you could get behind the scenes where Jesus takes aside his 12 disciples and gives them the lowdown, without football boots, I hasten to add. Well, he does that here. Matthew 13, 36. Jesus is explaining this parable. He says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world, not the church, the field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the age the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil they will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father whoever has ears to hear let them hear lord let us hear this today, in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. So we're talking about the entire world, where these weeds, these tares are sown in close to the wheat, the fruit-bearing plants. You remember I've talked about there being two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms that you need to know of that bear any eternal significance because every other kingdom will pass away. The the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is ruled by King Jesus. And then the kingdom of darkness, as I've described it, is governed by the enemy, Satan. But I don't want to give him that much credit, because it's not a kingdom. It's a dominion of darkness. And it is a dominion from which we have been rescued Colossians 1.13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son who he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You remember it said at the end of the previous, it said that, um, that they will weed out from his kingdom everything that causes sin. And here we see that in the kingdom, when we are rescued from the dominion of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light, he, the king, is the one that will cleanse our sins and forgive us of our sins. And therefore, that separates us at that point. Because then we are no longer ones who cause sin and are involved in sin, because we have been justified and made righteous through what? Through the blood of Jesus Christ but you can't be a member of both camps. You can't be a one foot in the church, one foot in the world kind of person. You are a member, a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, or you are a slave of the dominion of darkness. Mm. There's no in between. So we're looking at this counterfeit kingdom. Firstly, what kind of people are we dealing with in this kingdom? Before I go any further, let me just say this. Talking about the dominion of darkness, what kind of people are we talking about? We're talking about your neighbors. It Sounds bad, doesn't it? We're talking about some of your family members. Mm -hmm. We're talking about some of your closest friends. We're talking about some very lovely people. And yet, they are enslaved. In the kingdom, in the do- dominion of darkness. Yeah. We're not talking about just ISIS type of people. It's easy to say, yeah, they're definitely evil, they're definitely the kingdom of darkness, but we're talking about Sheila who lives next door to you. We're, we're talking about Bob who lives just down the road. We're talking about people that we love. And the thing is that some of these people can look identical to kingdom citizens in their behaviour, identical, perhaps even better. Yes. Some of the best behaved people can be non-believers, and some of the worst behaved people can be believers. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. But there's a, there's a very close similarity between people who are of the kingdom and people who are of the dominion. I had a question, I think, I think it was you Margaret, who asked me the other day about people doing good. But what do we do with that when well, there are people who, who do incredible good things in this world. They do tons for charity. They genuinely care for people. We don't want to rob them of that. We don't want to say that obviously there's an there's agenda that they know about in their lives where they're just doing this to try and boost their own egos. You know, I think some people are very genuine in their care for people, for animals, for whatever. And you can see these people that do incredible things, but don't know Jesus. What do we do with that? I think the issue is that there's different DNA. It can look identical, but there's different DNA between the people who are citizens of the kingdom and the people who are slaves to the dominion of darkness. And I'll come back to the DNA in a minute. Even in church, we have warnings in the Bible of false teachers. False prophets, false apostles. They're people who look dazzling, who are articulate, who are energetic or engaging. And, and these are not things, they're wrong things, and that's part of the problem because they look identical. But these things often scratch at the itch of self-promotion, self-glorification. That's what you get under the surface. Swelling bank accounts rather than infusing the kingdom. Now, believers may look like non-believers and non-believers may look like believers. The fact that non-believers can look identical shouldn't really surprise us. In fact, sometimes they look a whole lot more attractive. It shouldn't surprise us because even the devil himself appears as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11:13 to 15 says this: "For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then, that if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve." That's kind of a heavy tone for this morning. And what what Paul's saying there is there are people with false intentions, with evil intentions in the church and in the world who look at every level just like people of light, people of the kingdom. And he says, don't be surprised by this, because the devil himself can appear like an angel of light. Now that's scary because the question that I would ask myself, and I'm sure some of you are asking this, then how do we discern? How do we know the difference? How do, how do we know that this thing that looks amazing in front of me looks really holy and right? How, how do I know that that's God working and not the enemy working as an angel of light, as a counterfeit to what God is doing? In our worship, We love it when we feel the presence of God descend here. We we love that. But how do we know when that's counterfeit? We need to pray for discernment. I know some of you have told me that you're asking for that. And keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. We need discernment in the church. But the, the, the enemy is a counterfeit enemy. He can take something bad and make it look really good. He can take a law or a principle of God and he can warp it into a counterfeit model that looks good. I don't do well on eBay, generally. My first ever attempt to buy something on eBay was when the iPods first came out. And I wanted an iPod, but I didn't want to spend the money on an iPod, because I didn't have the money for a proper iPod, they cost a tonne. And so what I did is I looked on Ebay and I found the the closest thing, the thing that looked the most like an iPod. And I found something that looked really close in the picture, so I bought it. It was a fraction of the price, and when it arrived, it it was like a tiny iPod. It looked just like it, but it was a complete fake. And worse than that, I thought, well I don't care, as long as I can play MP3 files through it and play my music or whatever. It didn't even work. It didn't even work. It looked identical. It looked exactly the same, but it did not work. What you'll find, if you're trying to look at the difference, and I'll come to this in a bit, is, is that there will be a difference in the outworking of somebody who comes from the kingdom of heaven compared to somebody that is ruled by their dominion of darkness. There will be a difference. You will see this. But the enemy can make everything look appealing. And then there are some benefits. Yeah, are benefits to the kingdom, to, to the dominion of darkness. We've talked about some of the kingdom benefits, but these are benefits of the uh, Dominion of Darkness. Firstly, there, there appears to be a sense of belonging. If you, if you chat to atheists, there's a sense of in it, tribalness in it. If you talk to agnostics, if you talk to almost any group of people, there'll be, there'll be a sense of I belong to this. And actually, if you want to narrow that right down, I know I belong to the king. But people who don't want to belong to the king are quite proud of that and they have a sense that they belong to something as well, often. Not all the time, but often. The other benefit is it looks as if you can have it your way in the dominion of darkness. It looks as if you're the king. It looks as though whatever you want is okay. If you think it's okay, it's okay. Moral laws, there are no moral absolutes. They've just been passed down through society and so we're governed by a society that's just made up rules as it's gone along. And actually, none of those rules are absolute. Where is the end of that? Because if no rules are absolute, then that means I could go out and kill somebody in good conscience and go, well, yeah, but my moral code tells me that that's okay. But that's the deception that the devil makes out that you can have it all your way. You can make your own moral ground in the dominion of darkness. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there is a way that appears right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Mm. It looks good. It looks good logically. Yeah. Logically, it looks good to remove God from the equation. Logically, it looks good for society to make up its own rules and govern itself. <clears throat> it looks good aesthetically as well you ever had the phrase, why should the devil have all the best stuff? Sometimes it can appear like that. It can appear more appealing to be part of the dominion of darkness than the kingdom of heaven. And the reason for that is you can have it all and you can have it now. One of the real breakdowns of society is this instantaneous gratification that people are after. You don't want to wait. That's why Amazon Prime is a big thing because you don't have to wait a week until it gets posted through your letterbox. You can have it that day. It is nice though. <laughs> no, just for the for the recording, because <laughs> that was too quiet to be picked up. Brenda said it is nice. Though. But you're right, you're right. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the fact that Amazon don't cancel your Amazon Prime accounts, that's not what I'm saying. And you know, I'm not scolding that. But underneath it, there's an undercurrent of, of this kind of, I want it my way, and I want it my way now. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. I don't want to wait building it up. I, I love the film The Matrix, when Neo, the, the protagonist in, in The Matrix, um, was first taken into this like, Matrix-y place. And, and he, he had all these like, guns and things like that, just like, they all came out the walls, and they go, you pick whatever you like. But the thing that really struck me about that was that he, he just automatically had downloaded into his brain, like skills, like nunchuck skills or something like that, like karate skills or whatever it is, martial arts skills, were just downloaded into his brain instantly. He didn't want to go through, or he didn't need to go through the whole impact of, of training and learning and discipling yourself and disciplining yourself. He had it instantly, and that's what society secretly wants. That's why false degrees. Mine is real, by the way. But you can go online and you can pay and get yourself a degree. You can actually get somebody to write your essays for you. I've only done that once or twice. <laughs> we want it now. We want instant gratification. We don't want to work for it. We don't want hard work. Fast track, self-promotion. But the pleasure swiftly passes. Have you ever noticed that? Because I know you've all seen it somewhere at some point in your lives. And at some point that's felt really good to do, as well. Like when you vent at a driver who's cut you up or something like that, and it does feel good. It feels good, it feels like you get instant satisfaction from a bit, it passes so quickly. And it will never provide lasting satisfaction. These benefits of the kingdom are fraudulent benefits, they're not benefits, they're traps. It always leaves you worse off. It always leaves you harming yourself. It always leaves you like, have you ever had one of those kind of itches and you don't know where it is? Like you can kind of feel, it kind of feels like it's in my hands, but I I can't quite scratch it. And imagine if you just went at that and went at it and went at it until you've got no skin left because you've been scratching it, but still the itch is there. That is what the, 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 the dominion of darkness does. That is what sin does. It gives you an itch that is pervasive and you feel like, it's always there, no matter what you do, you cannot satisfy it long term, so you'll keep going at it, and it'll get worse and worse. Sin entraps you, and that's, that's not by accident, that's by design, that's, that's what the enemy intends, the, the one who rules the dominion of darkness intends to entrap you, and entrap The people of this world. Let's not be hating the people who are subject to the dominion of darkness at this moment in time because they are trapped and they need rescue. This is the way sin works. Once you give it a toehold, it will take a foothold. Once you give it the foothold, it will make a stronghold. Before you know it, that thing that just felt so good... It's tying you up and destroying your character, destroying your relationship with God, destroying your sense of worth. It's a trap. Flee. And if the enemy can't kill or remove something, he'll corrupt him. My word. I've no idea what time I started preaching, but it doesn't feel like that long. I'll try and wrap this up quickly. It's good stuff. I really feel this is important. Is that okay to Mm -hmm. Mm. His counterfeit schemes will always appeal, as we've seen, and sin is appealing. It draws us in. It appeals to our pride. It appeals to our selfishness. It appeals to our desire to matter. It it appeals to our hunger for good things in our lives. And, And how do we spot the fraud? It's not as simple as you might think, but it is in the DNA. So, false ministry. You can't assume that every popular and successful ministry is of the devil. You just can't. You can't look at TV evangelists and just because they've got tons of followers or because they invest in in visuals that are expensive or whatever or, or just because they look millennial or on trend. You can't assume that because of that there's an indication of corruption. There's not necessarily. But equally, don't assume that a person is not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because of their bad behavior. So don't assume that somebody is part of the dominion of darkness because... They're doing these things that look like false teachers or whatever, but equally don't write off believers because of bad behaviour. Because it's not a way to tell. And You know what I'm talking about, bad language, things like that. Believers can have bad language, Mm -hmm. and and that might not be swearing, it might be gossip. Mm -hmm. It it might be slander, it might be having an acid tongue. Mm -hmm. That is still bad language under James' definition of bad language. They might struggle with addictions like drink or smoking or, or porn or food. But, but you can still be a believer and be, be trapped and, and, and like conflicted just because you're messing up does not mean that you are a member of the dominion of darkness. Young and maturing Christians will still mess up. Be patient with each other and be patient with yourselves. Remember I said believers might look like non-believers and non-believers might look like believers. So how can we observe the difference? When maturing, wheat, when it becomes laden with fruit, will bow down because of the weight of the fruit. I think there's a beautiful picture there because as we grow, the fruit of the spirit grows in our lives and it causes us to bow to the king. Whereas the dried grass that looks like wheat when it's younger, it grows no fruit, and so it stays upright, haughty, pride, arrogant. There's a difference. What you notice in a genuine believer is they have, even if they mess up and they are they, they, they wound up by that, there's a desire. How do I know I'm saved? You're asking the question. There's a good start. <laughs> How do I know that, I'm, uh, that God is working in me? You're asking the question. You care. Mm-hmm. What God thinks of you matters to you. That is a great indication mm-hmm. of who you are and who your king is. Yeah. You're devastated because you feel that you're not good enough. That's kind of a good indication. It can tip over the other way and become a problem. Because it's not about how good we are, it's about how good he is. Mm-hmm. It's in the DNA, arrogance versus humility. Strip everything back from a believer. Strip everything away. Take away everything from them. Put them under tremendous pressure. Threaten their very lives. And and even in immaturity and even within mistakes and even in bad reactions, you'll still see Christ and a desire for Christ in them. Ultimately, you find Jesus is their DNA. And the same for non-believers, if you put them under the pressure, it won't be long before you start seeing the cracks appearing, and it will look similar to a young believer at first, but ultimately what you'll find is a complete lack of foundation and a similarity to the enemy, trying to help themselves. I'm going to wrap this up. Why, Why doesn't God do something? Why is he leaving the evil and the good together until the end of the age? Why... It's all this mess going on in the world. Why doesn't God act? That's such a big question that you will get asked by non-believers all the time. If there's a God, why doesn't he do something? He has and he is. But if he uprooted everything now, it would damage those in, or soon to be in, his kingdom. It would cause damage. He will deal with it at the end. And I'm going to come to this, I'm going to bring this back in next week. God is the only way that this world is not consumed by itself. God is the only reason we haven't wiped ourselves out. That's right. He's the only reason the planets haven't collapsed in on us. Yeah. He's the only reason the sun hasn't burned us up. He's the only thing holding everything in balance. What is hell? It is God removing himself from the equation. Imagine. Imagine at some point God will let every person in this world have their own way. Mm. Continue having their own way. He will let everyone have their choice. That sounds unfair. What hope do people have? And I'll finish with this Can tares become wheat? Can weeds become wheat? Of course, the answer is no, it's impossible. Weed cannot become flower, but with God, nothing's impossible. Mm. Matthew 19, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Eddie, could you...